What's up, party people? It's episode 44 of The Next Byte, and this one's an interesting one. We're talking all about computer vision, which is when computers use cameras and AI to be able to see and sort and process things, kind of similar to the way that we do as humans. Turns out they do it a lot faster and a lot more effectively than we can, too. We talk about applications in manufacturing and agriculture. It's really interesting, and I think you should hold on to the end because Forboden and I talk about our favorite podcast review that we've gotten so far. So check it out, episode 44. Buckle up. Let's go. I'm Daniel. And I'm Forboden. And this is the Next Byte Podcast. Every week, we explore interesting and impactful tech and engineering content from Weevolver.com and deliver it to you in bite-sized episodes that are easy to understand, regardless of your background. All right, everybody, let's jump into it with our first article, which is coming from a group called Plainsight.ai, and they're giving us an overview of how computer vision AI can be used to help detect unwanted and hazardous objects in a production line. Cool. So this might sound a little boring, but I promise you the underlying technology to that is really, really interesting. So first, just come on a journey with me. Imagine you're working on a production line, um, you know, whether it's produce coming by or uh, circuit boards or something in a manufacturing facility or a packaging facility. You know, you've seen videos and I always grew up watching how it's made. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's just like, there's tons and tons of these things shooting down the line really, really fast. The machine's and sorting it. Yeah, yeah. It's super fast moving. It's nearly impossible with the naked eye to be able to track and look for unwanted things, you know, things that are damaged or hazardous objects. Like you're using a produce sorter and there's a rock in there, something that will damage the machine. It's nearly impossible at the speed that you want this production line to move for people with the naked eye to be able to sort. Um, the way I think about it is, have you ever? Did you ever watch I Love Lucy or see that clip where they're trying to like sort and Lucy. package the chocolates coming on a production line and it's coming faster and faster? No, I haven't. No, and she can't keep up and she ends up stuffing them in her mouth to try and keep up. No, it's really funny. That's exactly <laughs> how I feel imagining trying to sit on a production line and sort stuff it reminds me of uh the drake and josh episode where they're sorting sushi and they can't keep up so they start eating it and putting it into their hats i, I imagine that is a that is probably an homage to the original i love lucy clip yeah probably i don't i don't even know what i love lucy is so you got me beat that well we'll have to check it out but so imagine stuff coming down this line it's way too fast for people to sort but it's really, really important to be able to find these things to prevent damage to the products, um, damage to the machines, um, contamination to your food. Mm-hmm. Some examples that I want to mention, um, the ramifications may be much higher than just like letting a bad product slip through. Like if you have rotten produce and you let that slip into uh, you know packaging or containers that store a lot of the other produce, it not only that one tomato or that one apple is bad, it can spoil the rest in that entire batch. Um, foreign objects going into machinery can break the machinery, cause downtime on the production line. Um, someone who in my day job spends a lot of time related to manufacturing in a manufacturing plant, downtime is like the most evil thing because it costs so much money. And not only are you spending time and money to fix the issue, you're also missing out on the opportunity to make more products. Um, the third bad example I think of is damaged products getting shipped and causing issues to your downstream customer. So 
Um, the example they provide in this article is like, we make circuit boards and we send a circuit board to someone and they install it in their system and it fries their fries their computer or whatever. That, so that's the one that resonates the most with me because we work with electronics and PCBs are like the foundation of everything that we do hardware wise. And the quality methods that you got to have in place to make sure that the hundreds of thousands that you're shipping out are like consistently good across the board. And once the installer or the people get it, the product isn't putting your company to shame. That's so important. Yeah. So these these people from Plainsight AI, they found a way to solve it. And this this thing is, is it's computer vision. And so generally, that's I think what this episode is focusing on. But computer vision is really just a subset of artificial intelligence, AI, that is focused on um, training and allowing computers using cameras to be able to see and sort and think similarly to the way that we would do when we're trying to sort things, identify things that are bad or foreign objects, or even identifying things are good and counting them, counting the quantity of how many. Um, There's a wide range of applications for computer vision, um, but Plainsight focuses on detecting unwanted and hazardous objects in a manufacturing setting so they've found a few different ways that ai can help in this this type of application um and good no i, I wasn't gonna say anything go on you're good okay yeah. so the the three main ways they call it anomaly detection classification and instance segmentation i can explain each of them a little bit but what i want to note first is the third one instance segmentation we consider that like level three it requires the most training data for the AI algorithm to be able to understand and execute this thing and re- requires the most refinement and reinforced learning to get to this level three. Is that like level sorting, one basically? Yeah. Okay. So, so instant segmentation at the very top end is being able to sort and count how many good and bad things there are. So you, not only are you recognizing what's good and what's bad with the algorithm, you're also able to sort between them and count how many there are okay. uh, at the lowest level anomaly detection it just looks at the entire uh, swath of products that's flying by, right? The, the analogy they use is circuit boards. So you've got a bunch of circuit boards coming down the line. You just look, the computer bad. AI can look. It doesn't even know if it's good or bad. It just tells if any one of the circuit boards is different from the others. So it's just oh. looking for anomalies. Okay. So if you had a production line full of bad circuit boards, it could find the one good one. Or if it, you had a production line full of good circuit boards, it could find the one bad one. But the issue there is when the population's, you know, not very 99% good and 1% bad, um, it has a trouble distinguishing between the two because there aren't anomalies. It seems more like a homogenous mixture of good and bad. I see. Yeah, yeah. So the next level up from that is level two. And that's when you start to train the computer, can train the algorithm what is good and what is bad. So um, it's called classification. And that's that's where it can find... Uh, it can recognize what a bad circuit board is and in a sample set, identify which ones are good and which ones are bad. And like I said, the third one, instant segmentation, is it not only figures out which ones are good and which ones are bad, it can separate them and sort them and keep track of the quantity of how many you have. So in a typical manufacturing application, you want to aim for level three if you can. Okay, so wait, um, as far as the computer vision algorithm goes are two and three the same but three just has the hardware necessary in the system to sort them out like i I guess i'm not making the connection of what the difference is between two and three fully um so the main one is classification 
can look for a certain type of circuit board. So it can look for bad circuit boards. Right. Like, it doesn't fundamentally understand the difference between what's good and what's bad. And it's also not able to classify them. So if it's coming by and it's looking just for one type of subset, it can assume that it's good or you can assume that it's bad. And it just finds it and flags it. It's not able to sort oh, it. Oh. It's not able to count it. So in a classification system, um, basically you'd have this classification computer vision ai running down the line and when it detects something bad it would stop the line and it requires human intervention to go find this one and sort it the instance segmentation can tell you which one in that field is bad it can tell you how many are bad how many are good and it can also take action to sort it that makes sense okay so just so i know what you're saying uh classification you show it the good thing and you're like this is what good looks like. And then yeah. it's, it's like comparing it. But classification, it understands the actual, like what constitutes a good circuit board. So like, you know, the soldering is like this close to the element or whatever. And it looks yeah. for that across the board as it's coming through, right? Yeah. Okay, so, great. Thank you. Well, run through them again. Level one is the lowest level. That just tells if anything is different from the rest. Mm -hmm. So it just, it has very short term memory. It just looks at everything that it can see and it flags you if there's something different than the rest. Classification looks for bad circuit boards within the population of them. And then instant segmentation, level three, is able to tell you where the good ones are, where the bad ones are, how many of each there are, and also give you action to sort them. Got it. That makes so much more sense. Thank you. So that's why I said to get from level one to level three, it requires a lot more training data, requires a lot more refinement. But that's the thing that at least in most manufacturing applications, they're aiming for level three. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because like... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking if you're sorting like packages or something, or if you're sorting like produce, you would want the machine to independently be able to verify how much good and how much bad that we have and sort it and give you the report of, you know, in this batch, we saw 20% of the potatoes having green skin, which can cause, you know, lethal side effects. Yeah. And yeah, that's, remember, we're talking about like, you want to mitigate these bad outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. The produce spoiling the rest of the batch or foreign objects going into your machinery and causing downtime or damaged products getting shipped to your customers. Remember, I, I said it's really hard for humans to keep up. And the way you do it right now, if you have to have human intervention, is you slow down the line, you have a team of people searching. And honestly, a lot of the time, they still miss these, these unwanted and hazardous objects because humans make mistakes sometimes. So I want to zoom out to the so what, right? How fast can a computer vision AI system work and how effective is it compared to a team of humans doing the same thing um, and i would consider that to be generally like the result of applying this sort of system um, the so what in this case is a, they say at plain sight a cv computer vision ai system can typically handle two to three times as much sorting volume in a given time as a team of humans wow and once it gets to level three it is significantly more accurate as well so not only is it two to three times faster at sorting it also finds more of the anomalies within that population than a team of humans would. We we always talk about um, how automation can impact people's lives and the workforce and things like that. And obviously, th these systems have replaced people in in the factory and anywhere they're utilized. But in a sense, they've also ensured like safety. So it's like I don't know a balancing act, I guess. Yeah. And it depends on the application, right? If you are, and honestly, on the, the, the person that's applying it, right? Mm -hmm. I would love to see this used in a, like we talk about it a lot of the time, 
in a collaborative aspect with humans. So instead of saying, hey, we're going to get rid of all our workers on the line and this is going to sort itself, you have humans focused on what they're doing best. So, you know, they're using their critical judgment to understand what's going on. They're making sure that the line remains with, you know, minimal downtime and they don't have to do the tedious job of scanning this line of products that's right, coming through. Right, which is monotonous so, and tiring, especially if you, you do it for You take them away shift. from the part that can be automated and leave them to the critical thinking part that humans are good at. Um, most of these things that are monotonous, that are, you know, no one wants to do them, they repeat over and over and over again, that's a perfect place to introduce AI. Um, and hopefully, in a we call it cobotics, collaborative robotics state, um, work with humans instead of replacing them. Perfect. I agree with you, man. Well, so we basically talked about what CV AI is, right? <coughs> I'd like to use an awesome example that I found an article from our sponsor, Mauser Electronics, to dive into how to implement it. Let's do it. They, yeah, they basically have a step-by-step guide on how to create a computer vision AI system, you know, a bill of materials to buy all the hardware included, and they used it. They followed these steps to create a system to detect packaging defects in their own warehouse. It cost less than three hundred. <laughs> no dollars. way! That's so cool. Wait, is so it's like can can you buy all the parts and everything from Mauser, and they have instructions on how to like I don't know assemble and install and everything? Yeah, this is like a, an Instructables or like an eHow, all on Mauser's website. All the steps you need: a link to download the software, a link to buy the hardware that you need from them. Um, and it cost less than $300 and they did it themselves just to prove that it works. I, I, so I have like a whole like set of Legos and I've been trying to think of a project that could like help me sort it out. And this might be, this might be it. Send me the link yeah. after this. I'm going to check it out. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's five main steps. Let's walk through them quickly. One is you need to get what you need. So they have a vision AI processor. This is like the computer that your algorithm will run on Okay. as well as a camera set. And the camera set is what, you know, the eyes for the computer to be able to see. Then two, you have to create a Linux machine for the software to run on. It's like free, right? Um, Yeah, you can do it for free. That's the whole point of Linux, right? That the operating system is free and you can use, I think it's Oracle's VirtualBox Mm -hmm. software to create a virtual machine on your laptop. You install the Vision AI software. You, this is the tedious part. You have to create a data set to train the neural network. So for me, it's a photo shoot of my Legos, basically. Yeah. Yeah, you take a bunch of photos of your Legos and you tag, like, this is a red block, this is a yellow block, or this is from this set and this is from that one. Um, you basically give the training set for the neural neural network algorithm to learn. Then you upload it to this website called Edge Impulse, which is something that a lot of people use for computer vision uh, creating their algorithm. You compile the model on Edge Impulse, install it to this machine, and you can start testing right away. Wow. So they I, I, they followed these steps, and they made something that they actually used in, in their own manufacturing. They use in their, I think, in their warehouse. In their warehouse, my bad. Bef- before yeah. things ship out, they use this exact procedure and using this exact hardware. Remember, less than three hundred dollars. Um, they got this to work where they could tell if the Mauser label, their logo, was applied properly to outgoing packages. So they just wanted to make sure that every time the label is applied in the right direction, so it's wow. you know completely scannable and shows their logo correctly and it's not damaged or you know oriented upside down or whatever, they're able to use this exact procedure that they describe on here, um, and they apply the Mauser label to these packages all going out and it can tell you like, check this out. Well, you're gonna link it in the show notes. 
um, their result was like being able to tell which packages had a good and a bad label. And it cost less than 300 bucks. So I think if you want to do it to sort Legos, this might be your starting place. Well, I was going to say, I, I just wrapped up my uh, weekend project. It was actually like a month long project of making a cutting board. And now I'm kind of like empty handed, but this could be another great weekend project. Yeah. So I got to look into it now. Yeah. Um, but this is actually a perfect segue into article two. Dan, I, I was reading this and I, I just thought of you, dude. You're gonna love it. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's about um, agriculture and like it's got to do stuff with like removing weeds. And I know you're very passionate about it. With the oh, I, I, let me just get into it. Okay, coming out of Technical University of Denmark, their electrical engineering department, and it's this uh, PhD student Ronia Goldenring, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that the right way. Uh, but he, here's the issue: you have these organic farmers that have weeds growing up. Right. And if you don't know the difference between organic farms and conventional farms, organic farmers rely on natural methods of sustaining their plot of land. So they don't use um, chemical fertilizers. They don't use any chemicals for weed removal. And that's supposed to make sure that the soil is nice and healthy. And, you know, the crops that you're growing, they have all the nutrients and none of the bad stuff from the soil and the chemicals going into the plants. So these uh, cattle farmers, the dairy farmers, um, ha- are having this problem where there's a lot of weed growing and taking up the space of grass that their cattle should be eating. And the best and most reliable to rem- way to remove it, if you're not going to use chemicals, is to remove it by hand, which is like hard yeah. and tedious. Now- I appreciate <laughs> that, you know, the grass that the cattle are eating that turns into the meat that we end up consuming, that they're focused on doing it organically, right? So they're not spraying a bunch of herbicides everywhere to kill these weeds. But I worked in landscaping for a right. long time and I can tell you firsthand and my back pain can probably also tell you how awful it is to sit there and pick weeds all day. I mean, I just, I absolutely despise it. And we tried to find a way to do it without herbicides as well. We ended up using a torch, which is also used in farming, in organic farming. So they, they burn the weeds rather than apply herbicides to them. But in this case, you've got to really be, um, it almost ties back to the first thing we're talking about, like in a uh, whole crop of tomatoes, you want to pick out the one rotten one or the one rock that's in there and not trash the rest. You want to keep right. the yield as high as you can. So in this case, they want the grass for the cattle to be able to eat and they don't want to go in there and spray it with a blowtorch like we would because it burns a bunch of the grass that you want to keep as well. So I could see them. They spend a lot of time sitting there and picking weeds. And Yeah. It's a lot of people that are having this problem of just removing weeds from the ground again, monotonous. It's prime for automation because it's just – it's annoying to do. So they they collaborated with the uh, Technical University of Denmark and this PhD student and the trick is com- computer vision, right? They have to be able to find a way to detect what is a weed and what is grass, I feel like that's pretty challenging. It is because they look you know, so the, much the alike. The weeding that we were doing is in a flower bed where there's not supposed to be, you know, anything green growing mm-hmm. other than the flowers of the bushes. So you can just, you know, even, you know, anything that is not a flower or a bush, you can go yank it out. But I feel like it's pretty hard to train um, a computer vision algorithm to be able to tell the difference in a field that's fully packed of all this green stuff. What's a weed and what's a piece of grass? It. You're absolutely right. So. To do this, they had to make this insi- like very large data set of images of weeds and grass 
and different weather conditions and different lighting with different backgrounds and different seasons. And like, dude, just to show you like how uh, detail oriented this team had to be, uh, Ronia actually mentioned that one time they noticed that when it rained, the dew, like the droplets of water on the weeds and the grass reflected in a weird way on the um, on the camera, which made the algorithm confuse itself on like what is a weed and what is a grass. So they had to take that into account as well. So there's all these like variables, all these parameters they have to keep in mind when making the detection. And that, that's that's been what's so challenging about it. But Ronia has been working on this for some time. Um, the data set that she made, she's actually made it public for other researchers to oh, utilize as well. That is sick. But here is the secret sauce that I'm about to drop on you. They're putting this 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 like algorithm into a robot that can go out there in the field autonomously, find a weed, and kill it by either a laser or like electrocuting it. So it's like a very concentrated version of what I was mentioning. Exactly. With the torch. Yes. Cool. It's it's like the application of it. Imagine like the Terminator. I don't know if you ever saw those movies, but they were my favorite as a kid with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Imagine yeah. a Terminator for weeds, but just smaller and cuter, collab like Wally, Wally Terminator, and, and super precise, super precise. That's um, cool. So the robot hasn't actually been made yet; it's a work in progress. Ronya is working on training the robot using the algorithm right now. Um, it's supposed to be done by 2022, so it seems like we're kind of right around the corner. And one of the things that I loved is that to get the data set of images, uh, the team had to work with these dairy farmers. And now that like, you know, they have the data and they're working on this robot, the farmers are like, this would be great for us. We would love this. So it's not like another project that's, you know, you're making for a problem that doesn't even exist. The the end consumer, the end user actually sees the value and they're like, we want this. This would make yeah. our lives so much better and our backs would stop hurting. We've spoken about this before where we despise technology that's like a hammer running around looking for a nail mm -hmm. to hit. You know, it's a solution looking for a problem. This is admirable because a lot of the other, you know, hammer looking for a nail type solutions end up sitting on the shelf. But this one seems like they've involved the people who really truly experienced this problem, designed it around the way to best solve it for them. And hopefully once Ronya and Ronya and her team get this thing kicked off, right? They'll actually have customers who are willing to use this, people that are willing to use this technology, and it'll make it, I don't know, how much faster it'll be. It's hard to quantify right now, right? right. But it'll make it so much faster for these organic farmers, and they don't have to, you know, break their backs sitting there picking weeds all day. And you know what? Uh, one of my favorite things that you usually say when we talk about big tech is that uh, quote from Isaac Newton, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. And uh, her team shouts out advancements that have you know taken place recently, like 5G and the um, European Space, Space Association's Galileo satellite system for making this robot that's coming out in 2022 possible because 5G enables them to have stable wireless connection, which apparently they didn't have before. And with the Galileo system, they're able to localize where the weeds are within a one centimeter accuracy. So the robot can find it and kill it, but having that data of where they're growing would be useful to the farmers to maybe see patterns or something. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's funny to me because, you know, chemical pesticides, they, they were a thing of science, of technology, of advancement. But people looked at it and they're like, maybe that's not the best way to go about it. Maybe it's got its uses, but not for like, you know, 
dairy cows but now we're going back to technology for helping us like go in the right direction again like self-correcting again with technology and i just love that i don't know it made me happy Uh, me too this is it's super fascinating and i i uh really really appreciate the sentiment that they provided which is you know they're relying on all these other advancements and that's what makes it possible now is it's not you know they didn't come up with the entire stack, but they find a way to use different bits and pieces from all parts of technology to find a solution that'll work now and solve a real problem for real people. Yeah, I I feel like that's my favorite thing about engineering is when it meets life and it's like all these little elements finally coming together like the perfect recipe and it's just, it's so right. Uh, yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah, that that's my, that's my rant of love of engineering. Well, I think we can call a wrap on this episode, but first, before we call it quits, I want to give a shout out to one of our newest reviews. It honestly brought a smile to my face. Like I took a screenshot of this for Bode and sent it to you. Yeah, I was on vacation Uh, and when I saw it, it made my vacation even better. So thank you. So this person is pseudonymous. Um, Their username is, I think it's supposed to say, please help, but the L is a K. But regardless of your, your... uh, interesting pseudonym, please help. We're very thankful for the review that you gave us. It made us smile. It says, Daniel and Forbode say that they will break down current tech issues and solutions in digestible, bite-sized pieces that are understandable regardless of their background. They do just that. It's refreshing to learn about interesting things that would usually go over my head. One of my favorite parts of this podcast is how they try to keep their own biases and opinions out of the conversation. There's no ulterior motives just talking about the latest and greatest from Weevolver.com. I, like, Honestly, this is fake because I couldn't have <laughs> wrote, written a better one myself. So thank you. Please help. And we're going to need a bleep here at the end because they also say binge this. <laughs> thank you, everyone. On that note, we'll see you all in the next episode. Peace. That's all for today. The Next Bite Podcast is produced by Weevolver. And to learn more about the topics we discussed today, visit Weevolver.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of your favorite platforms. I'm Forbode. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.